You're listening to the City Lights Church Podcast with Pastor Jesse Miller. This morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue to look at prayer. Um, and this is probably one of the most famous things that we know in the Christian church about prayer. But before we read the passage, I want to, I want to ask you, uh, or I want to tell you a story, actually. So, um, I was, last spring... Some of the guys went hiking Mount Marcy, um, and that was, that, was a, that was a beast. We went and hiked Mount Marcy, but we were staying at the lodge at the base of Mount Marcy, and they had like three games there, most of which were missing pieces. But we found Trivial Pursuit, and so Martin pulls us out, and he's reading the cards for Trivial Pursuit, and there's this question, and I forget exactly how it went, but it was in the late 90s, there was a large Supreme Court case regarding this collectible item and fraudulent activity surrounding this item, right? Like, what? And I don't know what happened inside of my, my, my heart from the 90s, just came alive. And I looked at Martin, I said, T.Y. Beanie Babies. He's like, yes, it's T.Y. Beanie Babies. <laughs> Move on, I get that piece. We won, it was great. But do you guys remember T.Y. Beanie Babies? Anybody remember that craze? I was like, what does that have to do with prayer? I've been praying for the... No, I'm kidding. I haven't been praying for Beanie Babies. But why did that go to the court? Why was there a big deal? What happened if you had a T.Y. Beanie Baby, which look it up on your own if you don't know what it is. Um, it's a, basically, it's a little stuffed animal with beans inside. Um, but a T.Y. Beanie Baby was only worth anything, collectors-wise, if it had what on it? The tag. You cut that tag off, the world explodes. Like I had a teacher obsessed with them, and she would hand them to you to look at, but don't touch that tag. Like it was a big deal. My math teacher loved these things. Why? Because it's authentic. Because that tag proved for some reason its authenticity. Authenticity is a big deal. Something that's genuine, genuine leather. This is genuine sports jersey. You don't want that knockoff jersey. You don't want that knockoff purse, that Louis Vuitton lookalike that you get in New York City for $4. Like, like that rule, that Rolex, you know, the genuine Rolex. Why, all of a sudden there's worth, there's value when it's the real deal, when it's authentic, right? And this morning, I want to look at the Lord's Prayer, but I want you to see that there's something that we need to see beyond the formula that we tend to make out of the Lord's Prayer. There's something much more real, and it has to do with the authenticity of prayer. What is authentic about your prayer? What's original? What's, what's real about your prayer? Is it fake? Is it a knockoff? Or is it real and authentic? Make sense? Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. You guys still good this morning? Good. We just started, so I hope you're still good. be bad if we weren't. Matthew chapter 6, we'll start in verse 1, because I want you to see a little bit bigger of the picture here. This is right after Jesus calls some disciples together, and then he does the Sermon on the Mount with this massive crowd, and he begins to teach them what the kingdom of heaven looks like, and blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. And he starts to talk about salt and light, and and adultery, and he he comes about him fulfilling the law. There's all kinds of stuff in chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, right? Then goes to chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, 
that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their rewards. But when you pray, go into a room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard with their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, and your fasting may not be seen by others, but by the Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We'll stop there. We're talking about prayer, but yet I read other portions of that same chapter that have to do with giving and have to do with fasting. And I think the reason, the reason that I wanted to share that is because if we just read the section on prayer and what Jesus says in those words, word for word, we'll miss the heart of what he's relaying to the disciples. We'll miss what he's trying to communicate to the crowds. There's something about the genuineness of your giving. There's something about the authenticity of prayer. There's something about the heart of fasting that goes beyond the actual acts, right? That goes beyond the actual words or the giving or the, the starving of yourself. There's something about being authentic that gives it real value. And if your prayers aren't authentic, then they're missing. They're, they're nonsense. Make sense? See, Jesus isn't... I've heard this mis, misquoted before where it's like, oh, so if I give, I'm not allowed to tell people that I give. Or if I pray, I should do it always secretly. Or if I'm fasting, nobody should know that I've been fasting. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that when you do these things, what's your heart in this? Because the hypocrites love to stand in the synagogues and make a big scene about it. The givers, the, the hypocrites love to blow trumpets and Toot their own horn, literally, toot their own horn about giving. The heart that Jesus is communicating regarding prayer is he doesn't want us all hiding in closets praying all the time. That public prayer is bad. That's nonsense, right? If we've read the rest of the scriptures, we know there's a ton of public prayer. The issue then is the heart position. Are you praying in public so that you sound good and sound religious? Or are you praying in public to declare an authentic expression to the Father? What is the purpose? What is the motivation? What is the originality of your prayers? Last week we talked about a heart position where you realize you're not a slave, you're not a servant, but you're a son and a daughter of the king. So we remove anxiety, we look to him and only to him, and we give our prayers to him. All of our anxieties, all of our fears we give to him. 
This week, I want you to not only recognize that there's, there's all kinds of structures, there's all kinds of things that we should include in prayer, but prayer is not a formula. Prayer is a position. Prayer is something that you express out of your heart. Public prayer was a part of Jewish and early church life. Jesus is in no way saying this is sin if you pray publicly. He's saying, though, that don't be like a hypocrite when you pray publicly. If that's, if that's who you are, if you've got an issue with pride, go hide in the closet for a while. If that's who you are, go hide somewhere. Make this thing private so it just becomes about you and the Lord. See, inside worship and outside worship through prayer, giving, singing songs, whatever, should focus on the God who sees your heart. Your worship, whatever it looks like, should focus on that God who sees exactly who you are. Jesus says over and over again in this chapter, the Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like them, for the Father knows your need before you ask it. We have a God that we come to in our worship, in our expression, who already knows what's inside of here. He already sees it. So who are you blowing a horn for? <laughs> so many times people come to me, and I've said this last week, and they're concerned that they don't know how to pray. They're afraid to pray in public. They're afraid to, to say the wrong things. I'm like, is it genuine? Is it your expression? Then pray it. And they're like, what if I say something that's not biblical or the bad theology? Guess what? Read Psalms. He prays a lot of things out of frustration. That's not good theology. It's not. He's in this position where he thinks God's just abandoned him and he's all alone and he's crying out, you've left me. How long will I be in this place? Where can we go from the love of God? Heist or depths? Like, that's bad theology to assume that God has left you somewhere, right? But it's an authentic prayer of a place of frustration and wrestling before a real God, Right? It's about authenticity in your prayers. When we look at Psalm 6, I want you to see that this is not a word-for-word outline of what you should say. All right? And I've given you, uh, when you walked in, you should have got a, a, a printout of the Lord's Prayer that Jared and I wrote a while ago with some kind of breakdown of some elements of prayer. Do you guys get that? You guys know what I'm talking about? I gave you that not because I'm going to preach through that this morning and not because it's a formula, but how, how many people have ever built a house or been a part of building a house or had a house built for you um, in the future or in the past? Just any kind of construction people at all. Let me say this. A house is a house, right? Right? A house is a house. Now, do all houses look the same? No, not at all. Like, I was, I was in South Africa a few years back. And you can literally look and see these massive mansions, and then you can see these squatter houses, which is like tin walls. But houses all have the same structure, don't they? What, what makes a house? A roof, walls, and a floor. Now that floor might be dirt, or that floor might be marble, with marble columns, Martin. That's a, that's a us thing. Your walls could be made out of scrap metal you found in the salvage yard, or they could be made out of marble. <laughs> Your roof could be made out of leaves and mud. I've been in mud houses throughout Swaziland and South Africa. But a roof is a roof, right? 
It could be made of a little bit different stuff here. And what Jesus does is he doesn't say, this is what you have to say every time, disciples. He's like, if you're confused about what prayer looks like, let me give you the framework, the basic blueprints of what prayer is, what it should feel like. A house is a house. Prayer is a prayer. And prayer needs to be authentic. And here's some structure so you understand the heart of prayer. Make sense? Prayer should be authentic to who you are. What I'm not saying is that prayer needs to be always this thing that you just made up in the moment. So I was at Lancaster Bible College. I'm, I'm going through, working on my master's degree. And um, like you meet people who, like professors, just think back to college, whoever's been to college or school, and you're like, that guy is a teacher, like through and through, by the book, stoic teacher. And then you meet this other teacher who's like, the hip teacher, you know? What's the teacher from uh, Boy Meets World? Like that guy. Like he's the cool one, and then you got Mr. Feeney. Like there's Mr. Feeney's, and then there's that other dude, whatever his name is. I, I, what? Yeah, that's Mr. Anderson, Edison, something like that. Whatever. We've all had, how many of us have had that teacher, the cool teacher, who are like, this guy is a loose cannon. He's wild. He's awesome. And all the girls are like, he's dreamy. And the guys are like, he's my man. Yeah, we're friends. He's going to give me an A, and he gives you a C. And you're like, what? I thought we were friends. Like, you know, like that's this teacher. I go to this class, and I got this teacher. Like, he is the loose cannon. He gets it. He gets culture. He's not stuck up. He's not this weird theologian guy who's like, whatever. And, and so I'm, I'm excited for this class. And then he's like, hey, guys, we're going to start class. I'm like, all right, let's start in prayer. And so I'm like, all right, give us the good prayer. He pulls out this book, flips the page, and begins reading these words. I'm like, what is he saying? He's pulling out of the Book of Common Prayer, and he's praying a prayer. And I'm like, what just happened? This is not what I expected at all. He went stoic on me. Let me say this. Written prayer and your spontaneous prayer can be just as spirit-filled as what you say right now in this moment. Because in that moment, he read a prayer that was written hundreds of years ago, but reflected the moment we were in. It was led by the Spirit and brought a peace to the room. It was a declaration out of an authentic heart position to the Father on behalf of the class that God would move in that moment. Make sense? What I'm not telling you is that you have to be your own Shakespeare of prayers. That's not it at all. So you, if you're struggling with prayer, go to the Scriptures if you want to. Just read a prayer out of the Scripture. If it's your heart position and if it's authentic and you're really desiring the kingdom and you're not doing it for some kind of performance sake, go to the Scriptures. You want to know who does that in the Scriptures? Mary. When she's told she has, is having the, the, the Son of God inside of her, she sings this song. She prays this prayer, right, in front of her cousin. Do you know that that entire prayer is almost verbatim of Hannah's prayer before the Lord when she receives a child, when she's crying out? It's a reflection. When Jonah is in the belly of the whale, every word that he says in his prayer to God is straight out of Psalms. There is nothing original about what Jonah says. We can look at ancient texts and still make them a part of our real heart position. Prayer is not a formula. Prayer is not some kind of this is the only word you can say, and you have to start with part A, then go to part B, then go to part C. Part Prayer is authentic, saying, I am a son, I am a daughter of the king, I get rid of my anxieties, and I make my expression to you. I give my heart to you. When we come in that position with that mentality, everyone here can pray. Everyone can pray. I don't care if you've 
Never been in a church building. You can pray. So why don't we? <laughs> why don't we? Why are we so afraid of prayer? Why, why do we make this this big thing, this big to-do, and like, I don't pray enough, or I don't know how to pray, or what if somebody says this in my prayers? Forget them. <laughs> That's exactly what Jesus says in, Psalms, or in Matthew 6. Forget everybody else and pray. Just pray, people. Forget everybody else and give. Forget everybody else and fast if you need to fast. Just go before the Lord with it. Make it authentic. Don't be a hypocrite. The word hypocrite, we've turned into a really dirty word, but the word to that culture was don't be a performance actor. A hypocrite was somebody who was acting for a career and would put on a fake face. So like in front of the crowd, I am this character, but everywhere else I'm somebody else. Jesus says, if you're going to pray, make it your face and not somebody else's. Make it your expression. It's okay, though, to look at the the Scripture, to look at churches in the past and be a part of a bigger prayer. It's all right. Where is your heart? Now let's look at this Matthew chapter 6 for a few minutes. Verse 9, pray then like this. And I'm only going to hit a few portions of this quickly. Our Father in heaven... Like I said last week, there's a difference between the prayer of a son and a daughter or the prayer of a slave. And when Jesus said these words to this culture, they understood that this goes back to an imagery of when they came out of Egypt. That they were now sons and daughters rather than slaves in Egypt. The very premise, the very beginning of Jesus' model of how to build the house of prayer, how to build this thing called prayer life, is to reflect our position as sons and daughters who have been set free from slavery, from sickness, from the curse, from disease. We are sons and daughters. That is the foundation of prayer. We start from that position, recognizing that He is our Father. He is the one who has delivered us. He's the one who has set us free. We've been protected and loved, rescued and saved. We're sons and daughters. That's who we are. That's the foundation. That's our starting point in effective prayer. You guys okay? You guys still good? Your sons and daughters. That's good news. This is, this is like good news. It's who you are. You're not a slave. Just like we sang. I, I love when we sing that song. Sin's curse has lost its hold, its grip on me. Is it grip or hold? Something like that. It's, it's the idea, right? If I was going to get a tattoo, which I won't because I'm one, cheap, and two, I can't commit to things like that ever. But if I was, I've thought many times about having this imagery of chains falling off that says, since curse has lost its hold on me. I love that line because it's only from the fact that I'm a son of a father who has set the captives free, who's adopted us. That's beautiful. That's the starting point of my prayer. Our father who is in heaven. You're talking about a culture who's got many gods, many surrounding ideas and idols and, and ways of worship and Right away, Jesus comes in and says, this is the God who has set us free, who is in heaven. He's seated in heaven. Not something you made by hand, not something you created last weekend, not something you look to on the earth, but sits on the throne room of heaven. That's the place we start, with him in mind, with him in our sights, and not these other things on the earth that surround us and terrify us. There's a, 
a worship song I, I, just, I just heard a few weeks ago, and it's rocked me, like, just rocked me. And the song's got like four lines in the whole song. I let, I let the guys hear it this weekend, trying to convince Kenny to sing it. Where's Kenny? I'll get him to sing it one of these days, right? But it's four lines, literally, to the song. And it says, this is how we fight our battles. This is how we fight our battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. That's the entire song. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is the position that I come to in prayer. It might feel like I've got all these other gods, all these fighting things around me, that the enemy is all around me attacking my life, attacking my family's health, attacking our finances, attacking my thought patterns, attacking who I am as an individual. He's attacking everything. It might feel like I'm surrounded, but what I'm really surrounded by is the goodness of a God who sits in the throne room of heaven. That's who I'm surrounded by. That's the position of my prayer life. It might look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. The second position that I want to emphasize today is that when we pray to a Father who has set the captives free, made us sons and daughters, and is seated in the throne room of heaven, that our desire should be for that, that kingdom to be made manifest here. He's already come to the earth to set us free, so why would he not come to express the will of heaven on the earth? He says that over and over again, he, his desire is to bring heaven to earth. It's always been that way. We as society think that somehow we need to go from earth to heaven in our minds or whatever, and the truth is we need to bring heaven down to us. That's always, I mean, that's what Christmas is, right? We're doing this next week. It's the Son of God coming in the form of a babe, dwelling among us so that we can have life. Our prayers then is, Father, I know who you are. I know where you sit. Bring your kingdom into my reality right now. Bring your kingdom into my reality. Prayer is not just words, but there's something that we take ownership of. Prayer is not formula, but something that we partner with. Prayer is meant to be your own. So let me, I'm not going through any more of the Lord's Prayer specifically, but let me talk, so we're, we're doing this foundations thing, right? Going through foundations. And when you come into a church, you kind of come in, if you're not, if you've never been a believer or anything before, you can kind of feel lost, right? We have church lingo. Like we have catchphrases that we say. We have things that are normal in the church culture and completely confusing to people outside of the culture, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. So... Let me, let me close with how typically the church ends a prayer. Right? Let, me, let me tell you how the church ends a prayer. Right? In Jesus' name. I'll, start, I'll just start there. Why do we say in Jesus' name? Is that like the official signature of the Lord? Like, in Jesus' name. Sincerely, Jesus Christ. Like, in Jesus' name. Like, well, we've, we say those words. They're not empty words that just like throws it off into space, Right? Why do we say those words? Because we have one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. He says, you only come to the Father in my name. You can't, there's no other way to heaven. There's no other way to the Father. So when we say our prayers, we recognize the goodness of the Father that we're addressing the prayer to and who our mediator is to get the prayers actually there. So anytime we pray, the Jesus is there, the Holy Spirit's there, and God is hearing it through the mediation of Jesus Christ. Like, that's why we say in Jesus' name. So if you were confused about that, I just want to explain it. And let me explain the final thing. What do we finally say? In Jesus' name. 
Amen. So I was talking to Will. You don't mind me sharing this story, right, Will? He knew it was coming, didn't you? you? You felt it. So I was talking to Will like two weeks ago. We were hanging out. We were just talking about why foundations is important. And he said, you know, I came from a completely unchurched background. And I walk into a church with my friend. The pastor said, everybody's there. And, he, and, the, past, and the pastor goes, and all God's people say. And there was a split moment between the last word, amen, and all God's people say, where Will panicked. What do all God's people say? Am I one of God's people? I don't know this. So I'm not one of God's people. What do God's people say? All God's people say, amen. Oh, they say amen. Like that was literally what you told me was the story, right? If you don't know, you don't know. What does the word amen mean? My girls have asked this to me. My girls are children growing up in the church and they're like, why are we saying amen? Like not a woman. What is, what is this? What is this story? I don't, I don't understand. Amen is a word that means so be it, let it be so, or we are, we're in agreement with this. The early church would often, the pastor would pray a prayer, and then the church would respond with amen. So, and all God's people say, amen. there you go, you got it. Prayer is something that we take ownership in. And so when you're in the corporate setting, the corporate body of Christ together, when we come together on a Thursday night like this week for prayer night, it's not just a bunch of people saying their own personal prayers. That's not what this is meant to be on a Sunday morning or in a, in a gathering. But it's meant to be our expression to the Father as one. And so when we pray, if I pray something and you are allowed then, you are asked then to partner and make my prayer your prayer. It's our prayer to God. What if every time I was frustrated about something on a Sunday morning, I came in here and gave all my personal prayers over the microphone? Forgot about you guys. This is, I, don't, I ain't worried. This is Jesse time. So, dear Lord, and it's just all me, right? That would be really weird. But the word of amen in prayer is, I'm partnering with this. I'm in agreement with this. Let it be so. I'm partnering with this. That's what that word it really is. And so we get to have ownership as a body together. So when Mike prayed before we dismissed the kids, when I pray before we leave today, you are then invited to partner with the prayers of the body. Is this our expression? Is this something we're in agreement with? In fact, there's a part of Scripture where Paul says, they were praying stuff I couldn't say amen to. You guys weren't supposed to say amen to that. They were bad prayers. Don't pray that. Don't, don't agree with that. Be conscious. Is it original? Is it authentic? Is it something that needs to be prayed? And can you take ownership in this? There are all types of prayer. Worship team, come forward, if you would, please. There are multiple types of prayer, and the Lord's Prayer is a, is a model for us that hits on several key things that should be reflected in our prayer. And you can look over those on your own time. But I want you to know that there's a few things that are important. One is the position that you're praying from. Do you know you're a son and a daughter? And is it your heart expression? Because if it's not, are you saying the words to fit in with the crowd? Are you just saying words that you know to sound spiritual? What is it, where is it coming from? Is it authentic? Or is it a knockoff Beanie Baby prayer? What kind of prayer is it? There's all types of prayers. There's intercessory prayer. There's prayers for healing. There's prayers of commissioning into the body of Christ or into a position in the church. There's prayers of blessing. There's prayers of confession. There's prayers for provision. You know, give us this day our daily bread. That's a part. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our, our debtors. These are all parts of the prayer life that we get to experience. 
right? There's prayers of benediction, which is a blessing. It's a, it's a good word. Benediction really means good words over the church. So you guys heard that term before, benediction? That's literally what it means, to speak a prayer of good words over people. There's prophetic prayers. There's benediction prayers. There's all types of prayers. And you can study them all. And there's books written. I got a bunch of them in my office. You want to look at them. I haven't read them all. Like, there's a lot. Like, what I want you to know is not that you have to know all the terms for prayer or all the different formulas. You just need to know where's your heart? Where is my heart? Am I free to express my heart today to the Lord? Knowing that when I do, He responds because He's seated on the throne. His affection is for me, not against me. That's His heart position toward me. I'm a son and a daughter. This morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. I want, I want us, the church, to be a church that's focused on prayer, that we get it. I forgot to write this down, but I was, as I was studying this week, there's an old Latin phrase I don't remember off the top of my head because I'm not that smart. I should have wrote it down. But there's an old Latin church phrase that basically says, as the church prays, that's what they believe. And what they believe is what they pray. Right? So as we pray, when we come together on Thursday night and we offer prayers for God's rescue for the city, it does something in what we believe and how we see God. And how we see God through the reading of the word and through the singings that we, the songs that we sing and through our personal time sharpening each other. As Martin said, you can't grind an axe on butter. Apparently that's an old American saying that none of the Americans knew. But iron sharpens iron. I get that one, right? When we come together as the body, grinding against each other, sharpening, then that affects our prayers. So our prayers affects our theology, and our theology affects our prayers. Prayer is necessary and good. Jesus says he already knows what you need, but when you pray, this is what you pray from. This is the position you pray from. Prayer is vital to our body, and I would challenge you, don't give yourself an excuse to not pray. I don't have the time, or I don't have the right words, or I don't have the right theology, or I don't, I don't know what I'm saying. Great! You always have time to pray. pray Paul says, I, I pray without ceasing. And he did a lot of stuff. So you can be praying and washing dishes. You can be praying for somebody in your spirit and still talking to somebody. So Will earlier was telling me about something going on in his life, and my spirit's already praying before I ask him, can I pray for you? Make sense? Don't give yourself an excuse to not pray. You need it. We need it. We all need you to pray. I need you to pray. If you won't pray for anybody else, you don't know what else to pray for, pray for me. I'll take it. I'll take it. Pray for my wife. Pray for my kids. If you ain't got nothing else on your mind to pray about, pray for me. I need it. I'm just being honest. There's, there's no such thing as a selfish prayer. Like you, you give your anxieties to the Lord and say, God, meet me, meet the things because you're good, you're for me, not against me. And when you don't come in the way I understand, then let your kingdom be made known in my heart so that I understand what you're doing. I want to understand what you're doing, God. That's good. We're sons and daughters, not slaves and orphans. Let's stand, let's worship. Actually, no, sit back down, sit back down. I tricked you, I tricked you. This morning what I want to do, you guys, I just wanted you to stand up and get some something in your body. I'm I'm kidding. What I want to do as they play without words for a few minutes, I want to ask you, I want to give you the opportunity to respond to this by praying in your pews. If you don't, if you, if you don't know the words in your heart to say, like, you you don't have to pray out loud if you don't want to, but pray in your heart, pray in your mind. If you want to write down a prayer, write down a prayer, whatever it looks like. I want to give you this moment right now to become a prayer person 
become a prayer warrior, to intercede in prayer, to pray for something, whatever that position is. You're a son, you're a daughter, and it's yours. Pray it. So we're gonna, we're gonna, they're going to play for a few minutes, and then we will stand, and then we will sing. But I want to give you the next two or three minutes to just pray on your own. Can we do that? Go ahead and pray. Would you stand with me? I just kind of felt this in my spirit when I said that. So why do we stand and worship? When my wife and I are watching this show right now called The Crown. It's about British monarchy. And when a king or queen walks into a room, you have two options. You stand or you kneel. Throughout Scripture, we see those as postures before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. When we go to worship, we know that His presence is here, right? In this moment, the King of Kings is here with us. And so when we ask you to stand for worship, that's a posture of giving honor to the King. That's why you stand. You could sing sitting down. You could. But there's something about when we stand before the King or we kneel before the King. If you want to kneel, kneel. But our body language is reflective of our worship. 
and the honor that, of, of what we were experiencing in that moment. There's been times in worship where God's presence was so strong, I had no other choice but to lay down on my stomach. Like, it's, it's a sense of what the Lord's doing. So I just invite you to stand as we worship, as we sing this song, which is the Lord's Prayer, the declaration of the kingdom of God coming on the earth. Let's join together knowing that He is present that we have a great mediator who's hearing the songs we're singing and he is a good God who responds to the words we speak. Let's worship together for a few moments.